Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show This is one of my, my favorite weeks of the year I like to call this week Overreaction week That's right, week one of the NFL has happened And of course Every media outlet Is overreacting to everything They saw over the weekend Good, bad, doesn't matter We are making big, brash opinions and all of that based on what happened in one game so i like to call it overreaction week and it's fun for me because i feel like i'm one of those guys that doesn't really overreact and i like to keep things in perspective but you know i understand you got you got time to fill you got time to kill i got a bunch of stuff to get into today I'd like to welcome all of you. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Cyber family, welcome back. This is Sometimes I'll Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. So as I said, this week is uh, one of my favorite weeks of the sports year because everyone overreacts. Now, I know the NFL, I guess football in general, always has the reputation of being because it's it's one of the shorter seasons of all of, uh, of American sports. Everything is looked at as like, oh, it's more important. Everything's more important. Everything's heightened. So, you know, national media always feels like you can learn so much from one game. And in week one, I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's the case. I think with the limited preseason, especially now preseason being cut down only three weeks, most of the starters aren't playing. And if they do play, they're playing very limited and they're going very basic in their game plans or whatever. So you're relying on practice and then they come into week one and then they're a little rusty and it takes a week or two to kind of get your groove going to get back into it. So I think it's hard to draw any real conclusions like half of the NFL right now is undefeated and the other half is winless. Do I think that the undefeated teams are the best in the league? Like, no, like it's one game, but they overreact to it. And I love seeing the reactions and I love uh, kind of. Bouncing my ideas off of what the national media seems to be. But before we get into all the reviewing week one and all that stuff, let's get into some quick hits. Quick hits. Quick hits. So I want to start with this because, uh, as you know, I am a Cowboys fan. Lifelong Cowboys fan will always be a Cowboys fan. And they looked absolutely dreadful in week one. No way around it. They look terrible in every way that you can look terrible as a football team, except maybe the defense played okay. But again, we'll get into them later. But what I heard immediately, the immediate reaction after that was this idea and this narrative that keeps coming up over and over and over for the Cowboys. Can we please stop blaming the Cowboys failures on the field on the fact that Jerry Jones is the owner and the GM? I cannot stand this narrative. Whether you are the owner and the GM or you were just a GM or you're just the owner, it doesn't make a difference on the field you need to produce. Now, my problem with the narrative is they keep saying, oh, we there, there's history. There's 25 years. They've had no success. This doesn't work. They're the only team in the NFL that does this. No other team runs it this way, and it clearly doesn't work. Well, I'm going to sit there and say, if you look at the past Super Bowl winners of 25 years, there are plenty of teams in the NFL that have not won a Super Bowl that have a owner and a separate GM. So there's no evidence to show that doing it the other way is the only way that works. 
Like, that's just a stupid argument to say because that team hasn't won and that's the way they did it. It must be because of that. There's plenty of teams who haven't won a Super Bowl over the last 25 years, and it's not because their owner is also acting as GM. Secondly, I think it's a bad narrative because, number one, the Cowboys always have a high expectations every single season. And number two, you're always claiming how well, how, how talented the team is. The reason why the Cowboys are a national story and we always harp on the Cowboys is because the Cowboys always seem to underachieve. They always seem to come up small in the big moments. Well, the fact that they're in those moments and you think that they could do something and you call them a very talented team means that Jerry Jones is doing a damn good job as a GM because he's constantly keeping the team in your eyes as talented, which means he's acquiring good talent. He's resigning good talent, like he's drafting good talent and he's making this team talented enough to gain your interest and to gain your eyeballs and to get you to say, hey, this team should win the NFC East. So he's doing a good job as a GM, right? Okay. Secondly, the Dallas Cowboys are one of the is, is either one or two most popular sports brands in all of the world. All of the world. One of the most valuable franchises in all of the world, which means he's doing a damn good job as an owner. So if you're telling me the fact that he is the owner and the GM is the reason why they're not winning, because well, he's not, you know, if he's a GM, he can't get fired from doing that. So he's not really committed to doing a great job at that. Well, year in, year out, they're expected to do pretty good like they're never expected to be dog do and number two you tell me that they're one of the most talented rosters in the league you keep telling me how good Dak Prescott is you keep telling me how good Zeke Elliott is you keep telling me how good Micah Parsons is you keep telling me how big of a blow it is that, that they're having offensive line trouble you keep telling me all these they're talented over and over and over and over and over and over and over you will hear how talented the Cowboys are that means he's doing a good job as a GM and you will hear how valuable the franchise is that means he's doing a good job as an owner the players have to produce on the field that's what it comes down to the Cowboys haven't won a championship in the past 25 years because they failed on the field not because they failed as a GM or as an owner because that guy is one in the same has nothing to do with that they've had really good drafts over like the last decade they drafted a lot of good players and if you look around the league the league is littered with guys who got drafted by the Cowboys and they didn't resign and they went to another team. They br they bring in really good talent. They are consistently a talented team. They're consistently a good team or a team that you would expect something from. And they just come up short and they fail. That's on the players, not on the GM. Please stop that narrative. Next, Charles Barkley came out um, late last week and uh, said that he had um, inside info on the Knicks and why they didn't make the trade. And uh, the quote is, uh, I'm going to give you inside information. I actually had this conversation last night with Worldwide West at dinner, said Barkley. I said, Wes, why didn't you make the trade? He says, oh, man, don't go by the media stuff. The Jazz wanted my wife and my kids. He says, we wanted the deal, obviously, but he said they wanted my wife. They wanted my kids. They wanted my grandkids. They were just trying to rip somebody off. So he says, dude, we're going to have to pass on it. And I give those guys credit because you can't give away everything. That's what Barkley said. My question is, number one, the reports coming out. If you're going to sit there and say, don't believe the media stuff. We wanted to make the trade, but they wanted too much. Then why did it never come out what they actually wanted? Why did the Knicks not say, hey, you know what? We didn't make the trade because here's what they wanted. Why are they playing mum? Why are they playing coy? Why are they making it seem like, ah, we don't want to, you know, why are they being quiet this time? Especially if they're getting the backlash. Now, look. I'm not mad at it. If you didn't want to make the trade, listen, I think you make the trade. I think if they, if, if you got a little ripped off, I think it's a gamble, but I think you're trying to restructure the entire way the NBA looks at the New York Knicks. And I think the only way to do that is to win. And in order to win, you have to make some brash moves. That was my point as just a lowly Knicks fan. But this idea that 
the Knicks were saying, hey, the media was portraying it as one thing. The truth is they wanted way more than what was being reported. It's like, then why didn't you report it? Because there were reports coming out from both sides, what the Knicks were willing to give up, what, the, what, what Utah wanted. And it's like none of that seems to be exactly what you're saying here. Now, this isn't quick hits because it's not really a big story, but I just thought it was interesting to see that the Knicks are behind the scenes talking about, oh, they just wanted too much and they just want to rip somebody off and we weren't going to be bamboozled. Well, even after hearing that, I still think maybe you make the deal. Again, I understand that it is a gamble because if you get Donovan Mitchell in there, he has to produce and you have to hope that it works out. I'm on the side of thinking it would have, and I think that it would have made a big, big difference in the way you're perceived around the league. But that's just me. These guys get paid to do it for a living. All I'm saying is, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, you guys have a target on your back. There's going to be great expectations for you. And I hope, I hope and pray as a Knicks fan that you live up to the expectations. So over the weekend, it was the Alabama-Texas game. And that, that game was another great example of why college football is so, so amazing. Because you cannot forget that these are young guys. These are young kids who are still naive. They're not jaded. Even though they're getting paid from NIL deals, it's still not a job. To them, there is still so much more raw passion and raw testosterone that still exists. And you have guys that will play up or play down or will fluctuate their emotions. I came into the weekend thinking Alabama was going to torch Texas. And I got to tell you, two things I came out of the game with. Number one, I was wrong and I'd be wrong a lot. And I even underestimated the energy, the excitement and the emotion that would come out of Texas because they played their arse off. They played outstanding. They played well above what you would have expected from that team. And that has a lot to do with the fact that they were home, college game day was there. The energy was super high and they fed off it. And number two, I'm going to say it right now. I'm wrong about everything I said about Quinn Ewers. Because I said coming into Ohio State last year, I didn't really get the hype. I was watching the highlights from high school. I was watching all of the, the reports. I was watching all the, the YouTube, the quarterback gurus break everything down. And I wasn't seeing anything special from him. I got to tell you, he was balling in that game against Alabama. And the most important thing to me, he didn't seem like he was concerned at all about what Alabama was doing. And we all know Alabama has a mystique. And Alabama gets by a lot of times by overwhelming you by as soon as they do something positive, you start to freak out and think, this is Alabama. Uh, uh, I got to be perfect. And, and you give them way too much respect and credit. He was unbothered by Alabama. Didn't matter. Throwing the ball all over the place, moving around in the pocket, was unconcerned with them. And I'll be honest, if he doesn't get injured, I have no doubt Texas beats Alabama in that game. I'm wrong. Listen, I can say it. I'm wrong. Quinn Ewers, he's legit. Now, I don't know how far he's going to go in terms of going to the NFL. I have no idea. But as far as college football, that guy, he's got next. When he comes back, he he's legit. I was wrong. He deserves the ratings. He deserves all the praise. That guy. I saw it in a real game. I saw it in a real game against a top opponent in that situation. I saw it. I am a believer. I'm buying in. The next thing I want to touch on is the uh, this this Saturday is going to be Canelo versus Triple G in the third fight, the, their trilogy. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this in terms of making it a, a, a regular thing and really breaking it down because I think there's really nothing to break down. They both, they fought two other times. I think in the first fight, um, Canelo was his first time really facing a guy like that. You know, Triple G was the boogeyman. And I think he went into it thinking, I'm going to outbox him. I'm going to move around. I'm going to make a miss. I'm going to make him look silly. And then I'm going to, you know, pick my spots. 
because of that, for that reason, I thought he actually lost the fight. I don't think he lost the fight when they were in exchanges. I think he lost the fight because I think he gave up too many rounds, not really throwing punches, but more just trying to run around and dance around and maybe tire out Triple G. And for that, I feel like he gave up a bunch of rounds. In the second fight, I thought it was very close. And I thought you could go one round, you could go 115, 113 either way. I think if, if Triple G had won that, I wouldn't have been mad because it was very close. But I, I don't, I'm not mad at the Canelo decision either. I think it's one of those fights that could go either way. I think if you had called that a draw, that's probably more accurate than the first fight. So now that they're fighting a third time at a higher weight class, I, I still expect, I, I expect Canelo to win. And I think Canelo, I picked Canelo to win because I think Canelo is the better boxer. And I think although Triple G hits hard, I think Canelo has spent the last year or two years fighting bigger guys, fighting stronger guys. He's had two fights at 175. He's just coming off a fight at 175 with a guy who I believe pound for pound probably punches as hard, if not harder than Triple G, because he is a, a like a naturally much bigger man than Canelo. So I don't think the power of Triple G is something that's going to bother Canelo. I don't think it scares Canelo, which means I think Canelo will take a little more chance chances but i think if it comes down to it i think he can outbox triple g and i think because he is the favorite i think triple g is going to have to go in there and beat him in a way that he hasn't done now i'm not saying the judges are going to automatically give it to canelo but what i'm saying is if the canelo's if, if canelo's the champ the the old adage in boxing always is if you want to beat the champ you got to beat the champ right if you want if you want to if you want to get the if you want to take the but you have to take the belt from somebody you can't go in there and dance and lollipop your way to getting a decision victory you're never going to get that you got to go in there and actually beat the champion so for that reason i just think triple g is going to have to take a lot more chances open himself up a lot more and i think the better more skilled fighter canelo will do that i also think that when you have two boxers the better boxer is always going to do better in the rematch versus the puncher and in this, there was never any doubt that Canelo was the better boxer. It was always, could he withstand the power of Triple G? Now, Triple G is not a bad boxer, but he doesn't have the dimensions that Canelo has. So now you put him in the second fight. And then Canelo showed he made improvements and he came back into that second fight better, whereas Triple G came in pretty much the same. Now in a third fight, if I get to see you a third time, I've improved my skills. I already know, I fought you two ways. I ran around, I fought you toe to toe. I know your power, I've taken your power, I've taken your best shots, I've taken them clean. The better boxer is always gonna come back in with a slight advantage over the better puncher. And I think with the age, I think with the weight gain, I think Canelo is not afraid. I think Canelo will stand his ground at times, but I also think there will be times where he will just make Triple G miss. I do think at 40, Triple G has lost a couple miles per hour off the fastball. I think that favors Canelo. I don't think it's a knockout. I do think it's a decision win, but I think for the first time in the trilogy, I think no one's gonna no one's gonna be able to dispute that Canelo did win the fight. And I think they both ride off into the sunset and this trilogy thing is over. That's it for quick hits. I wanna um I wanna touch on something real quick, um, something that popped up to me and I it immediately made me feel bad. So I want to talk about Marcus Freeman, the head coach at Notre Dame. Um, they lost this past weekend to Marshall uh, at home, pretty big loss, pretty tough loss. Not a loss you want as a fan or, you know, I'm sure if you're if you're at Notre Dame, you're probably thinking, oh man. And the one thing, the thing that got me concerned is I, I, I kind of feel bad for, for Freeman and I'm starting to get concerned that he's going to get fired sooner than later. 
And the reason why is not that he's not a good coach, not that the players don't love him, not that he's got every a perfect setup at Notre Dame and he's just blowing it. None of that. I actually think the opposite. I think the reality is, is Notre Dame and Notre Dame. So Notre Dame's alumni, Notre Dame's um, brass, Notre Dame's, you know, the the the, the people. I'm, why am I drawing a blank? <laughs> the the people who work, the, not the alums. Uh, God, the heads of Notre Dame, right? Um, oh, the athletic director, um, the chairman, whatever. I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on, on what, that, what they're called. I, I keep going back to alumni, but that's not it. Like, my bad, y'all. <laughs> Brain fog today. But those, the, 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 those people, the higher-ups at Notre Dame and the Notre Dame fans have a really, really warped perspective on what Notre Dame is. They all have this bloated idea that Notre Dame is this great institution, this great football program, this this recruiting powerhouse that should be in national championship conversations every year. And the fact is, you're not. You're not. Notre Dame's not that. Notre Dame hasn't been that. Number one, location. Your location is kind of tough. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like cold. It's nasty weather in the winter and you're not going to get the best athletes in the world to go there just because number two you're a tradition-based school but your tradition is like pretty much you're best known for a movie so that's not really like on field success anymore to these younger kids number three your academic standards are way too high like to be honest with you most of these athletes that are top athletes coming out of at a um out of high school are not probably looking to go to an athletic, I mean, an academic powerhouse to try to exceed in the classroom. Most of those guys probably think I'm going to go to the NFL. And if not, I can get an education anywhere. Like, I don't have to say that I graduated from Notre Dame to get a job if I fail at the NFL. Do you know what I mean? So, like, you can't sell them on the academic prowess of that. And also your standards are a little high where not everybody's going to meet those academic standards to even qualify to go to Notre Dame. So your recruiting base is already limited. So you're going to get the best of those players. But the other schools are going to be able to take all of the athletes because they don't have to. The barrier of entry is so much lower at other schools. Now, that's not a knock on anybody, but it's just a reality that Notre Dame, most games that go into against the bigger schools don't have the same level of athlete. They don't. And so they have to be perfectly coached, they have to execute perfectly, and they have to follow the game plan and not make any mistakes and limit their mistakes or else it will turn into a route. The problem is, is Marcus Freeman's had three games. He had the bowl game last year, which he was stepping into late, and it's kind of a tricky situation. So you give him a pass. His first game came against Ohio State on the road at night. Like, what do you expect? That's a tough game. That's a tough, like, you're not really even picked to win. You were 17 and a half point underdogs. So we can't really judge you too harshly off that. Now, the loss Saturday, we can judge you on because that was like your first home game and it was against an opponent that you should beat and you came up short. But in my mind, they, they immediately, the media is immediately pushing a narrative of, oh, the first Notre Dame coach to lose his first three starts since blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, they're already starting to turn the wheels of, mm, you know, maybe this guy is not very good. Maybe this guy wasn't the right hire. Maybe this was an emotional hire. Maybe this was a feel-good story that's actually not the right move. And I'm just concerned because I think that because Notre Dame's incredibly high and delusional standards, this might be a coach who has the opportunity to grow and develop into a great coach may never get that shot because he'll get canned before he ever has the opportunity to make that turnaround simply because the school has crazy, ridiculous standards. 
And I'm just hoping that they give him a shot. And I'm hoping that the media kind of doesn't continue to harp on any failures and continues to, like, let him be. As long as the players are playing for him, as long as they're playing hard. If you're losing games because you don't have the guys, hey, man, that's not a coaching thing. As long as they're playing hard, as long as they're being consistent, as long as they're not making stupid mistakes all the time, as long as they're not one of the most penalized teams, as long as they're doing those things, then I think that reflects well on the coach. If it's just if you're losing games and it's a dumpster fire and you're having most penalties and you're having all this other stuff, then yeah, you got to go. But I'm just hoping they give I'm hoping they give my guy a shot to uh, at least you know have a full season under his belt, maybe one recruiting class under his belt that could come in and do something, and then see what happens from there. This next topic I want to get into um, is one for me that I, I keep feeling like I'm on an island with this. And I feel like it's a problem I've had for for years now. Every time it comes up, I have a problem with the way business is conducted. I have a problem with the way the media handles it. I have a problem with the way former players handle it. I have a problem with the player, the way the player themselves handle it. And the problem I'm talking about is every time a quarterback is up for a new contract. The talk is, in my mind, absolutely ludicrous. So why I bring this up is. Uh, reportedly before the season started, Lamar Jackson was seeking a new contract and apparently he turned down a reported $290 million contract with $180 million plus guaranteed dollars. Right? He turned it down. He said that wasn't enough. I guess either it was a year for whatever reason, he turned it down. He wants and everyone in the national media always says, pay the man what he's worth, pay him what he's worth, pay him what he's worth. And or they always say, hey, he just happens to be the next guy. The next guy up is going to set the standard. He's going to set the bar. He's going to get paid more than the last. The last guy sets the bar. The next guy raises it. And I always think, no, that's a terrible way of doing business. If I'm a fan, if I'm a fellow player, if I am an owner, I'm. It's dumb. It's it's a stupid way to do it. And I'll tell you why. Number one, the NFL is a hard salary cap. In the NFL, you have a salary cap. You cannot go over. So here's how much money you have. So let's say you have a $100 million salary cap. If a, if a quarterback wants $45 million, he's eating up almost half of that salary cap. Just one player. Now you have to take the rest of that money and try to fill out an entire roster. How do you do that? More importantly, let me ask you one question. Let me ask you this question first. Is there any quarterback in the NFL right now that you as a fan thinks can go to any team with any player, doesn't matter how bad they are, and can lift them to a Super Bowl? No, we all agree. No, right? There's not a quarterback in the NFL right now that could go to a team with a terrible offensive line, no running game, bad wide receivers, and a terrible defense and can win a Super Bowl. We don't think that anyone can do it, right? We think Aaron Rodgers is great. We think Patrick Mahomes is great. We think uh, Tom Brady could do it. We think, but you don't think that they can go to that bad team and win a Super Bowl, right? We don't. We can all agree that you need a good offensive line to protect. If you have no protection, no wide receivers to throw to and a bad defense, you're probably not going to win. Isn't that why Peyton Manning didn't win for years? Because they had a bad defense. Isn't that why Aaron Rodgers hasn't won for years? Because the defense has always been bad. Isn't that why Aaron Rodgers looked bad and we won? Because he's got no receivers. Isn't that why Dak looked bad? Because they got no receiver help. That, so we all agree with that. That's a, that's a generally accepted thing. You need other players around you. 
Great. Number two, isn't the goal to win a Super Bowl. That's the only reason to play, right? There's not any team that would say that their fan base says, hey, we just like watching the game. We don't care if they win or lose. We just like watching it. No, the goal is to win a championship, correct? Okay, great. So my question to you is what value does a quarterback have if he's not winning games? If Lamar Jackson is saying, hey, pay me what I'm worth, and all of the, the media outlets are saying, hey, he needs to be, he gets, he's next up. He has to get paid. You got to give him the money. Well, if you give him the money and then you can't fill out the rest of the roster, then what value does he have to you? Because if you're not winning as an owner, you can give him half the salary cap. But if you don't have no one else on the team and he loses every week, what's the point of paying him? What are we paying him for to lose? We could we could pay. We can draft the rookie and pay him the rookie wage and, and lose games if we wanted. We can sign some guy off the street for five million dollars a year and he'll play and lose games, too. What's the value? What value does he have? See, I think when it comes to contract talks, it drives me crazy that for whatever reason, the national media always forgets that a quarterback is judged on wins and losses. But in order to win games, you need your defense to hold the other team to less points than you score. You don't play defense, so you need a defense. That defense, if you want to have a good one, is going to cost you money. You're going to need a top flight pass rusher. He's going to run you some money. You're going to need a good linebacker. He's going to run you money. You need somebody in the secondary either a corner or a safety who can pretty much, you know, do a good job of holding the other team to, you know, making it difficult for them. He's going to cost money. You're going to need an offensive line. You're going to need a left tackle. He's going to cost you money. You're going to need a solid running back. He's going to cost you some money. You're going to need a good stud receiver who you can trust in that will get open in big spots. He's going to cost you money. So I always say if I was a GM or if I was an owner, I would sit the quarterback down and I would say, hey, listen, you want $50 million a year. All right, great. That's fine. I can give you $50 million a year and I can surround you with a whole bunch of garbage and see whatever else we can get off the tra trash heap and see what we can afford and piece together a roster for you and hope that it works out. Or, or I could pay you $30 million and I could surround you with great talent. Or I can give you $25 million and I could, I could surround you with the best roster in the NFL. I can assemble all the best players. So you choose. It's, it's up to you. What do you want to do? That's exactly how I would handle it as an owner or a GM. And the fact that the media consistently says, oh, you got to pay him, you got to pay him, you got to pay him. But then what's around him? Because guess what? That media that's saying pay, pay him more, he deserves more than that. And then he gets a big chunk of it is going to be the same media that's crucifying him when he doesn't win games. And they say, oh, he's overpaid. You want to know how I know? Because they're doing it to Dak Prescott right now. Because Dak Prescott, when he was up for a contract, they kept saying, oh, no, he should definitely hold out. He should definitely turn that down. Get the money he wants. Look at what you did for this franchise. Blah, 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 blah. Give him his money. He got his money. The rest of the team around him took a hit because you can't really afford to get all the best players. You can't afford to pay all these other guys that want to get paid. So you got to bring in second and third tier guys and hope that, you know, the, the quarterback can lift him. And when he can't, you blame the quarterback and you say, well, he's not worth the money. Is he? This is what you paid $40 million for? There it is. And if you ever needed an example of how this can work and why what I'm saying is not crazy, because Tom Brady did it for 18 years in New England. He took less money in the contract because he wanted the rest of the team to be good enough to compete for Super Bowls. That's the growth. That's the goat. That's the greatest of all time is giving you the blueprint. Hey, I will take less. Make sure the team around me is good. Now, if you don't trust them, 
I don't know what you're doing. If you're Lamar Jackson and you don't trust that Baltimore is going to put good players around you, since 10 years before, Baltimore since 2001 has been fielding a good defense. They've been fielding a good roster. They've been competitive. They've been competing for playoff spots. They've been they've had the potential. They've been very very close to making a run for ye- for decades. You have no if you're if you're Lamar Jackson, you have zero doubt that like that team is it will be willing and that front office will be willing to do what ne- what's necessary to get you what you need to get you to the next level. So instead of taking fifty million dollars or forty million dollars, take twenty five. I'm sorry, but there's not a fan listening that couldn't use $25 million a year for the next eight years. What are you talking about? Teams would have no problem fully guaranteeing contracts if the numbers weren't so outrageous. If Lamar Jackson said, hey, listen, here's what I want. I will take $20 million a year for the next three, for the next six years. But after two years, I have a I have a clause that says if I don't feel like the team is is doing everything they can to build around me then I can opt out of that contract and become a free agent right at 20 million dollars a year the Ravens would sign that deal in a heartbeat because they know you're only costing us 20 million dollars a year do you know what kind of players we can get in free agency do you know if our draft picks are good we can sign everybody we have so much flexibility now because you're willing to take 20 million and $20 million is nothing to sneeze at. Now, no, you're not going to be making $45 million like Patrick Mahomes. No, you're not going to be making $40 million like Dak Prescott. And yeah, you might be better than Dak Prescott. But the thing is, is that Dak Prescott's making $40 million with a terrible roster around him, losing games and not making the playoffs, and you're going to the Super Bowl consistently. Who won? In my opinion, there's a lot to be said for winning. Because winning, if, let's say you make $20 million base salary. If Lamar Jackson wins another MVP, if Lamar Jackson gets to the Super Bowl, let's say Lamar Jackson wins two Super Bowls in the next six years because he's got a great roster around him because he's only making $20 million, not not strapping the team at all. Their cap situation is wide open because your best player and your leader and the guy you count on the most is only accounting for $20 million. You got so much flexibility. Now other players that might want to come play with Lamar Jackson are able to because they can get a big contract. And if your leader is taking less money, it's going to make the other guy say, you know what, we're not going to strap this team either because as long as we got that guy and if we have me and if we add this guy, then we could win championships. Guess what? Guess what comes with that, Lamar Jackson? Guess what comes with that national media? Endorsements. Because you're the guy at the end of the year raising the trophy. You are now the top dog. You're going to get the endorsements now. Now you're going to be making $20 million from football and you're going to be making $60, $70 million a year from endorsements. Now you're making $90 million a year winning games, winning championships, as opposed to making $40 million or $50 million a year losing all the time. There's something to be said for your happiness. Wouldn't you be happier if every day, if every week you go into a game feeling like you got a great chance to win? Wouldn't you be happier coming into every season feeling like you got a chance to really win a championship? Wouldn't that make you happier? Wouldn't you enjoy life more that way rather than saying every week you come in, I have to be perfect or else we're going to get destroyed? I just don't get it. I don't get why everybody looks at it like pay the man whatever he wants. Why? 
that's strapping the team, that's causing problems. Every single team has had that problem. Every single one that has paid money had that problem. Why do you think Kansas City doesn't have Tyreek Hill? Money. They couldn't pay him. Would you like to know why they couldn't pay him? They can't pay him what he wants or what he can get on the open market because they got Mahomes strapping the cap. Now, great for Mahomes, record contract, highest paid of all time, blah, 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 that's great. Kyler Murray, highest paid, that's great. But if the team around you is going to be dog do, all that money you get and only helps you. But guess what? You're going to be miserable. You're going to get destroyed in the media when they claim that you're not good enough. You're not worth the money. You're not able to carry a team. You're not a top flight quarterback. And then you're going to either get traded to a dumpster fire or you're going to feel like I need out because I need to go to a winner. But the problem is, is your team is capable of being a winner if you weren't eating up all the money to improve the roster. It happens all the time. It's like a vicious cycle quarterback is drafted he plays really well he's up for a contract he wants to be the highest paid quarterback in the nfl because that's the way it's always been the next guy up gets the biggest contract great he gets the big contract the team now says oh man we got to make some roster decisions we got to get rid of some cap because we can't pay all these guys the roster gets worse around you your record gets worse your performance dips a little bit the media then comes back and claims that for whatever reason, you weren't worth the money. Was he overrated? Is he this? Is he that? Blah, 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 blah. That's what happens. Happens to every one of them every single time. And it's going to continue to happen until somebody steps up and says, hey, look. You can play longer. Right? You love this game? You can extend your career if we have a good offensive line to protect you and you're not getting beat up. Hey, you like being successful? You like winning MVPs? You like setting, do all that stuff? You can do all this stuff if you have good wide receivers and running backs behind you. Hey, you like winning championships? We can do that if we have a good defense to support you. But we can't do any of that if we're giving you almost 50% of the salary cap. That's exactly what happened in Seattle. Russell Wilson was playing on a rookie deal and he was a third round pick, so he wasn't making much money. They were able to surround him with great players on defense. They were able to give him some offensive weapons. The offensive line was top notch. He was able to succeed. When it was his time to get paid, he got paid. And because he got paid, they had to let some of those defenders go because they couldn't afford him anymore. They had to let some of that offensive line help go. They couldn't afford him anymore. So what happened? The defense got worse. Started losing some games. The offensive line got worse. You're not running for your life. And guess what? Just a few years later, ta-da, you're requesting a trade to go to a better situation. And you know what's going to happen in Denver? The very same thing. The very same thing. And it's going to happen all around the league, and it happens all the time. Wake up, people. It's not hard. It's simple math. If one player accounts for 50% of the money, that means you need 52 other players to accept half of the money. That means everyone else gets less. And guess what? If I'm Devontae Adams and I'm considered the best wide receiver in the league, I'm not taking less money to sit here because Aaron Rodgers needs to make half of the salary cap. No. I'll take less money to go elsewhere with a team that is better. Sure, I'll take a little less. But I'm not going to stay here and take the hit because that guy wanted to be greedy. And that's all it is, is greed. At $20 million a year for the next five years of your life, you have more money than you ever need for a lifetime. You have enough. Now, I'm not I'm not doing that thing. Like, don't get me wrong. We say, yeah, but you wouldn't turn down $40 million to take 20. If I was a player, I would. 
If I was a player, I would. I'll use I'll use the analogy like this. Would you rather would you rather have uh, let's say it's you and you're married and you have two kids. Would you rather have a 10 bedroom, 13 bath mega mansion um, and $20,000 a year? Or would you rather have a five bedroom, four bathroom, um, normal size house in a residential area and $150,000 in your pocket? Your house has enough rooms for everybody to have their own room. You have enough bathrooms for everybody to use the bathroom. You have enough space, enough yard space to do all the stuff you want. It's not a mega mansion. It's not a 15-bedroom, you know, bedroom, 20-bathroom mega mansion that you can flaunt to all your friends, but you have plenty of space for your family. Everyone's growing up really nice in a really nice area, and you have all this extra money in your bank account, and everybody's happy, and you're thriving, and you're feeling good. Would you rather spend all the extra money on the massive space that you don't need just to say you have it? No, you wouldn't. Like we we always like to say, oh, you know, what would you do if it was your job? I understand that it's different and their job is different. But in the NFL, your job is to win games. And if you're a quarterback and you want to make 50 percent of the salary cap, guess what? It's going to make your job a lot harder to win. It's going to make your your life a lot harder. And once you don't win, that team's going to dump you and keep that money. And that's the exact reason why these teams don't want to guarantee the entire contract. Because if we're paying you that much money, we know we can't pay everybody else. So we know the team's not going to be as good as it could be. And if we guarantee you all that money, then we can't get off it. So we'll guarantee it for three, four years. But then after that, we have the right to cut you and not lose anything. Because we know we're going to be bad at, after four years. We know once some of these contracts go up and we can't resign these guys, it's going to fall off. And that's exactly what happened in Seattle. They knew when they signed Russell, Russell Wilson that they were going to they were going to fall off eventually. It's the way it goes. I don't know, man. It's always something that drives me crazy. I think it's obvious, but I guess not. So let's talk about the uh, the NFL world overreacting. Oh, man. We got to start with the Cowboys, right? I'm a Cowboys fan. The Cowboys look terrible. And the Cowboys looked exactly like I thought they would look because I don't think Dak Prescott is very, I don't think Dak Prescott is very good. Now, of course, in the rankings, Dak Prescott came in at 12. I said, yeah, I guess he's a little better than I thought, but like he's not the position that they put him in is not the position he could be in. It's not. He's right back at Texas A&M. Where it's like, yeah, he could win some games, but when it comes to the best teams, he's not good enough to carry them past the best teams. Against some bad teams, mediocre teams, maybe even good teams, yeah, he could do enough to win. But when you go against, when it's in the playoffs and you need to win those games, he's not that guy. He's not. He needs a lot of help. And look, Every quarterback needs help. I just got finished going on a rant about how take less money so you can get the help around you. Yes, every quarterback needs help. But there are some quarterbacks who can take a a mediocre receiving core and can work with them and they can get good. That's what that's what Tom Brady did. Tom Brady took a receiving core that it's okay. It was okay in New England. It was never great, but it's okay. And he worked with them and he did what he had to do by being smart, by using his eyes, by increasing his accuracy, by having the confidence to make the throws. Dak Prescott doesn't have the confidence to make the throws. Dak Prescott will have some throws where apparently I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But I've heard. I've heard from Cowboys insiders that when you do the analytics on the game, his receivers had a lot of separation. And at times his receivers were getting the most separation of any receiving group in the NFL. 
That's what they're saying on, on, on Cowboys on Cowboy sites. So it wasn't as if he had no one to throw to because nobody was open. They were there. Dak Prescott gets gun shy a lot. It's happened before. If you watch the Cowboys, you've seen it where he hesitates and you feel like you just got to let it go. And he doesn't. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he wants to make the perfect throw. Maybe because he doesn't have confidence he could fit it in there. I don't know. Who knows? But Dak Prescott needs more help than what the Cowboys have given him thus far. And of course, the injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks. I'm going to say this right now. I don't think Cooper Rush is a better player than Dak Prescott, but he might be a better quarterback for this situation than Dak Prescott. I think Cooper Rush will let it rip. I think when Cooper Rush came in the game, you saw him throwing the ball downfield. He was trying. He was taking shots. He was doing things. He wasn't afraid to let it rip. And I think that's because he's a quarterback. I think it's because he spent his whole life being a guy who was in the pocket throwing the ball. I think Dak Prescott in college was always by any means necessary. So he'd run the ball if he had to. There was design runs. There was rollout. It was like just being a quarterback was never the focus of him. It was about just being a football player. Because as we know, in high school, most teams will put their most most athletic player at quarterback. And say, look, like you're just the best athlete, so you can go out there and make things happen from the quarterback position. Unless you have one of those stud quarterbacks, you know what I mean? But a lot of schools don't have that. There's only a few of those every year, and there's millions and millions of high schools in the country. So most times you're just going to put your best athlete back there. He could throw a little bit, but he's going to just make plays. So when Dak Prescott came to the NFL, the big thing was, oh, he's not very accurate. He doesn't have the best arm. He's not really a pocket quarterback. And so he's had to work on that and develop it. But his nature, what he's naturally comfortable doing is just going out there and playing football. And I think what you see from him now is him trying to be a pocket quarterback. And that's not that's not that's not going to work for you, because when the chips are down, if you're trying to do that, that's not natural. You're not going to be excellent at it. It's going to take years for that. We don't got time. Cooper Rush, on the other hand, I think is just going to go out there and let it rip, man. No hesitation, good or bad. I think he's just going to let it rip. So I think in the current circumstances, I think, like, throw it to the spot. And if the guy is there, he's there. He's not like, hey, man, it didn't work. <laughs> like, whatever. It's better than taking a sack. It's better than just, like, hesitating and never knowing if you could have made that throw. Like, go out there and let it rip. But they look bad. The defense, to me, it would be a perfect defense to play with a lead. They're not a good defense if, if they don't have a lead or if they're down. Why? Because they have trouble stopping the run. So if the other team has a lead and they can run the ball and lean on you, like that's that's a problem for them. It's going to be a problem all year long. And I promise you, Saquon Barkley is going to have 200 rushing yards against him. If he's healthy then. He might not be healthy at that point. I'm not trying to jinx somebody. I'm just saying. But that's what I see. I see a defense that is good if they have the lead and they can attack and they could be aggressive. I see a defense that's on its heels and looks very small and looks like they're easy to push around when they don't. Now, they did a good job of holding Tampa Bay out of the end zone, but I don't think that's happening this week. I think against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, I don't think they have a shot in hell to keep them out of the end zone. Unless, you know, the offense comes up somehow and does great things, but who knows? Who knows what to expect? But anyone thinking they should trade for this quarterback, they should go get that guy. Like, nope. The guy that's been there all camp long, that's been at every practice, that's been there, that's the guy that should play. Ride it out, man. Best case scenario, you win some games. Worst case scenario, you go over, and then you're sitting in line for the first pick of the draft, baby. And I'll tell you what. If the Cowboys lose and the Cowboys end up with a top four pick in the draft this year, I'm doing whatever I have to do to trade up to number one to take C.J. Stroud. And I'm, I'm moving off of Dak. I will trade that team, Dak Prescott, 
and whatever draft picks you want to take C.J. Stroud at number one. A hundred percent. No doubt about it. So as a fan, as a Cowboys fan, I'm kind of like, ooh, maybe the stars are aligning for the Cowboys to kind of have a really bad year. Like a really bad year and get up in that early draft where they have a shot at getting them. Because I don't think you need to see much more. Because here's the thing. Here's the problem. The problem with Dak Prescott is when he comes back, he's coming off of injury. So you got to give him two or three games to get his groove back. Right. Especially because it's a thumb injury. It's affecting his hand. So whatever he does the rest of the year is going to be impacted by the fact that you're like, well, you know, he did have the hand injury. Last year, he was coming off the leg injury. So as well, you know, he is coming back from the leg injury. You know, he's going to take a couple games to get his confidence back. And it's always something. But at the end of the day, do you believe in Dak Prescott? Do you? I don't. I don't think I need to see anymore. I'll tell you, I'll put it like this. If y'all felt, if y'all stopped believing in Jared Goff, <laughs> then it's fair for me to say I stopped believing in Dak Prescott too. I've seen enough. Look, I've seen enough. Sometimes you see and you just know. I just know. I knew Tony Romo was the guy preseason. You could just see it. Dak Prescott's not the guy, man. He's not the guy. So Justin Herbert, who I love watching, man. I love watching this guy. This guy is incredible. Um, I picked the Chargers to beat the Ravens. Uh, not the Ravens. The Raiders, sorry. And uh, I got to tell you, man, watching that game, Justin Herbert made a couple throws in that game, which if you ever doubted, and I know the conversation now was, what has he done? He's getting all this hype. What does he want? What does he blah, blah, blah? And you'll hear it all the time. And the truth is, is like, nope, there's some guys who you can look at and say, no, nope, they're different. Justin Herbert made some throws that was like, no, see that right that right there. That's what you would do. If you're sitting with somebody who doesn't believe that he, that he should be this hyped or this highly respected or regarded, just say, yep, that right there. You see that? Yeah, that's why. He made some throws like that. I was like, yep, that's why. And I, 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 if you don't see it, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. This guy is legit. This guy's great. And uh, put it on record right now. I'll talk about it more in predictions. I think they beat the Chiefs tonight. I do. I, I think he's, I've said it going into the year, I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to come out of this year as the number one quarterback in the NFL. And I think that uh, I'm not going to pick them to win the Super Bowl, but I think they're going to get there. I know I said give me a couple weeks to decide, but I think the Chargers are going to the Super Bowl. I think Justin Herbert is is at that moment in time where he's going to where he's kind of like being listed with other guys and he's going to separate. So if you watch that game, you saw it. And if you want to pretend like you didn't, then that's on you. Uh. Another thing I noticed about the entire weekend as a whole, college and and NFL, was, man, the kicker stole the show. The kicking game was was wild. I don't think think I remember a weekend where I've seen that many missed kicks, both extra points and field goals. I can't remember a time I saw that many. I can't remember a time that I jokingly, as they were lining up field goals, like, he's going to miss this. And he missed it. And it's like, I didn't think for a second he was actually going to miss it. I was just joking. But it was like, no, every time a kicker went out there, you were like, I don't know if he's going to make it or not. It doesn't matter where he was kicking from. It was wild. It's one of those things that makes you say, man, I get kicking out of the game. But you can't because, look, man, if, at the end of the day, if you're the NFL, you're selling 
a product you're selling entertainment you're selling a show and even if even if you don't like it like for example like the Bengals and the Steelers like the kicker the block the kick got blocked they would have won the game they would have won the game 21 to 20 if not for their long snapper getting injured so you had your backup long snapper and your backup tight end who probably just happens to be a guy that could get it back there was not used to doing it. The mechanics took a little longer, and it got blocked. And then he missed field goals in overtime. And you're like, what? what is going on? Kicks all around football this weekend. And, and I think as much as you don't like the fact that a kicker comes in and does one thing and kicks the ball, and all of a sudden they win, and that's not right, blah, blah, blah. And it's not fair when your team gets screwed over by the kicker. I get it. But at the end of the day, man, it's entertainment. It's entertaining. It's, it's edge of your seat. It just to me it just restored kicking is not a lock anymore. You are if you get in the field goal range, that might not be good enough anymore. And I think that's gonna help. I think that's gonna aid to uh teams being more aggressive in like two minute drives and not just trying to get in the field goal range and then settling. You know. Can we talk about the Broncos? Now that we're just talking about NFL, can we talk about the Broncos settling for a sixty four yard field goal? <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm not mad that you didn't call the timeout. I'm not even mad if you were going to settle for a field goal to win the game. But the fact that you were settling for a 64-yarder, dude, that's not even close. Like, if it was a 54-yarder, I get it. I got confidence that my kicker can make 54 yards, too. But 64? Like, a record type of field goal attempt? Like, you don't settle for that with two timeouts. You don't die with two timeouts left. That's not when you do it. What a wild sequence. But I'm also glad because, again, Russell Wilson, everyone just immediately assumed he's going to Denver. They're loaded. They're going to be great. You still have to play on the field, man. You still got to get used to the players. You still got to have the right things go for you. Like, it's not that simple. You can't just go to a team and all of a sudden be great. And it just reminds you, man, like, I was sitting there thinking, why did he have to leave Seattle? Seattle's defense looks like they can be solid. Uh, Geno Smith, my gosh, like lasers out there, man, throwing it all over the place. Good for him, man. I'm rooting for him now. A story like that where you have a guy who just wants to leave a franchise because he doesn't believe in this or that or blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, man, you didn't have to go. Maybe he didn't get along with the coach. I don't know. I'm probably talking out of pocket. I don't really know what the whole mechanics of it were. All I know is he didn't want to be there no more and he wanted to leave. Sometimes the grass ain't always greener, my friend. Sometimes it is. And it may be greener later, but for right now, that one week, good for them, man. That, that must have felt really good for everyone there, even the fans. And I know there was some backlash. Like, why are the fans booing him? Like, because he wanted to leave. He quit on that. He was like, I'm out. I don't want to be here no more. It's like, yo, get out of here. We're not going to cheer you when you come back because you had success here. You didn't ask to come here. You were drafted here. And while you were here, you were surrounded by a great roster. And you won a Super Bowl. And you got to another. Like, great. We were appreciative of that. But when you look at me and say, I don't want to be with you anymore, I'm not going to give you a cheer every time I see you. Yo, if my wife said she wanted to leave me to go with another man and then expect that I'm going to give you a big old hug and kiss on the cheek every time I see you at family functions, get up out of here. <laughs> no, you wanted to leave, so I'm done. We done, right? We out of here. All right, cool. So as a fan, I got no problem with you booing him. I would have booed him too. And again, like, does that hurt your feelings? Is it so sad and disrespectful? He got booed as a, the opponent in their stadium. Like, get out of here. Come on. And Joe Burrow, man, he had a bad start to the season, huh? And it got me thinking, is it possible 
that the cyber quarterback rankings could be a curse. Could I have conjured up a curse greater than the Madden curse? Still early. If Joe Burrow goes on to have just an abysmal year and the Bengals go on to fail. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe it's my fault. But the real test will be next year. Whoever makes it at number one. Maybe Joe Burrow stays at number one. Who knows? But if somebody else ascends to number one. Oh, boy. Then maybe. Maybe it would be a curse if they go on to have a failure. Oh, man. Could you imagine? Then I might just have to start putting guys I don't like at number one just to see them fail. (laughs) I'm not a hater, I swear. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Look, that's my time, y'all. My apologies for rambling a little bit at the end. But, you know, I I got my message across, right? We had some fun. Listen, uh, predictions for this week. Um, I already said I got Canelo beating Triple G, but I'm not going to put that on like an official prediction because that's kind of like... I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna count my games. Boxing is a little too you know. What if we have a bad decision and then I win? I can't gloat about that. Whatever. But we're gonna we're gonna stick to the uh, the games on the field is the ones we're gonna be counting. Uh, I'm gonna go with Oregon over BYU. BYU coming off of a big emotional home win. Um, they're riding high. Oregon kind of floating in the wind a little bit. They had a big home win, but it was a little easier opponent. Um, I like Oregon to uh, to go ahead and beat BYU at home. Uh, I got Auburn beating Penn State. I think Penn State looks solid, but not really. Auburn looks kind of okay. But I think after last year's game, I think I got Auburn coming out on top. Of course, I got Ohio State beating Toledo. I don't think we need to go into that. Um, And next game, I got Texas A&M beating Miami. I think Miami looks really good. I think people are high on Miami. I think Texas A&M coming off of an embarrassing loss. I think their stock is very low. I think there's a lot of criticism for them. And I think you're going to get laser focused this week from Texas A&M. And I think Texas A&M beats up on Miami. I got the Chargers uh, beating the Chiefs on Thursday Night Football. Like I said, I got the Bears beating the Packers. I think the Bears didn't look great in week one. Their defense looked solid in really bad weather. But it's hard to tell what you're getting from that game. But I also think... That the, the the national opinion on the Packers is they're going to be fine. This happened last year, and everyone is just assuming that they'll come back against the Bears and play better and, and win. I don't think so. I don't think what happened last week is just like last year, and it's just like, well, it's fine. We'll get on the same page. I think it's going to be a consistent problem for them. I think they're going to have a hard time scoring for the entire year. I think it's going to be one of those things. It's just it's just that year where they kind of have to, it's going to take a while to build that type of rapport between Aaron Rodgers and the receivers. I think the frustration is going to mount. I think you're going to see bad play from them all year. I got Justin Fields and the Bears actually going in and winning that game. I got the Bengals and Joe Burrow putting a beat down on the Cowboys. I just can't see the Cowboys defense stopping Joe Burrow for an entire game. I don't see it. I, I, I just don't. And I don't see their offense putting up enough points to put pressure on the Bengals. I just don't see it. I would love to see it. I would love to be wrong. 
I just don't see it. And I got the 49ers beating the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are riding high. I think the 49ers are riding low because everyone, I think, is starting to question if Trey Lance is really any good. Although, can I just say, the weather that game was awful. If you look at Justin Fields' numbers, they weren't good either. Like, somebody just had to win, somebody had to lose. And again, it's what I said. It's the reason why I didn't rank Trey Lance in the beginning. He hasn't played enough. It's hard to know what you're going to get. He still needs time. And if you're going to judge a quarterback in that, in those conditions, you're just a fool. Give the guy another week. I think they come in this week. I think he plays much better. I think he changes all the conversation about him this week. And I think they go out there and I think they get an impressive win. So that's my time, y'all. Listen, enjoy the fight this weekend. If you're going to bet, bet responsibly. Never bet more than you have. That's just a PSA. Uh, in your fantasy leagues, don't go crazy. Don't overthink it. You know what's right. Don't try to be too smart for your own good. Don't try to get cute. Uh, and watch the games. Enjoy the games. Have a good time. Interact with me. Again, you can find me on all social media platforms on cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. You can catch me on there. Link up. Hit me up. Message me. Yell at me. Whatever it is you want to do. Take these predictions to the bank. So far this year, I am 8-1. and one, And the only loss I have is when I said I picked the Cowboys last week to beat the Buccaneers. But I will say, going into it, I really did want to pick them but i picked them anyway so honestly i should be nine and all. but i went with my heart instead of my head and i'm eight and one but that's eight and one take it to the bank also i will say public service announcement if you do uh intend to bet using my picks um don't come after me because i'm not an expert i'm just telling you my opinion so anyway <laughs> have a good time i'll see y'all next week